Good morning. It's great to be with you today. Thank you for the flexibility. I know this is a different, a little different service time. I want to do something before we dive into the text today. There's a, a group of people who often go unnoticed and they serve so faithfully, both on our staff and a volunteer, and they do so much hard work, and especially this morning. They were here probably around 5.30 a.m., and that's our, our group in food service, but also our facilities and operation. No matter the rain, they don't get to just call in sick or not, not get things set up when um, it's cold and, and rainy. Can we just show our appreciation to our, our volunteers and our facility staff? I take that they can call in sick if they're sick. You, you know, and I, you and I met with that. But Pastor Ken and Cindy Miller, Joe, and um, just all the entire team, Elliot, they were setting up tents this morning, and I just wanted to publicly say thank you. And um, yeah, if you ran in the race today and you're here, um, you deserve another medal because <laughs> you should be home sleeping. But uh, it, it was a great weekend, and. Um, Thank you for the adjustment to that. So without a king, our series on the book of Judges for the next six weeks. You know, we as Americans, we don't like kings very much. Unless it's like the king of pop or the king of rock and roll or King James, LeBron James. Some of you may like him. Uh, we had a king once as a nation. Didn't really care for it. In fact, we started a revolution to break away from monarchy. Um, but really, you know, the truth of the matter is it's not the person necessarily or the king that we don't like. It's the authority and the power that that person holds. Most of us today, my guess is probably like 99.99% of us have never lived under an absolute monarchy. Most of us have never experienced what it's like to live in a kingdom that's ruled by one person with absolute power and absolute authority. A society where you're the subject and you must submit to the one person who's in charge. Authority, submission, subject, servant, those are yucky words. Like we just don't like those words very much. Yet the fact of the matter is, if you're a Christian, if you follow Jesus, if you're a Christ follower, we do have a king. His name is Jesus, King Jesus. And the fact is, we are part of his kingdom. We are under his lordship. We are under his authority. And we are under his reign. And we are his servants. We're to obey his commands and yield to his will. I love what Rebecca Pippert writes when she says, whatever controls us is really our God. You could say whatever controls us is really our king. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by the people he or she wants to please. We do not control ourselves, she writes. We are controlled by the Lord of our life. Or you could say we are controlled by the king of our life. And the fact is that we live right now in a world of variety of gods. And what I mean by that is not only those gods of other formal religions, but we live in a world of gods such as wealth, 
status, celebrity, achievement, ideology, and pleasure. And the point being, if we don't intentionally and willingly submit to the authority of King Jesus, we will go off track and will end up chasing and serving other gods that will ultimately lead to our demise. And this is exactly what happens in the book of Judges. And it can all be summed up in the book's final verse. Now, normally when you read a book, how many know you don't go to the end and find out it's ending before you start at the beginning? You know what I'm talking about? I'm going to do that anyway today. So it's important as we go through the book of Judges, and I hope over the next six weeks that you would read this book with us. We are going to go back and start at the beginning, but I want to read you the very last line in the book of Judges. And that is Judges chapter 21, verse 25. It says this, In those days Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Wow. So while the book of Judges is nearly 2,500 to 3,000 years old, that's when it happened in history, I think you would agree that the line about everyone doing what seemed right in their own eyes really relates to today. Are you with me in that? Don't we live in a society and a culture where, in fact, everybody wants us to approve that I can just do whatever I feel is right? Well, that is the situation today, but it was the situation in the time of the book of Judges. So as we work our way through this entire book over the next six weeks, we are going to see despicable people doing deplorable things. And as time goes on, we'll even see that the book's heroes, these judges, become increasingly flawed and failing. But we need to know this is our history This is the history of God's people, and it's tragic. And just like history, we will be doomed to repeat it if we don't pay attention to it and live differently. So here's the point, the theme, the big idea of the book of Judges, if you will. And it's our idea, big idea for today, and that is this. Without Jesus as our king... We will believe, what we believe is right will be wrong. And what we believe brings victory will ultimately cause defeat. Heavenly Father, today we come to you and we gather in your house. And Lord, I thank you for your spirit that is always with us. Your spirit that dwells in us and lives with us. I also thank you for your manifest presence, your spirit that comes when we gather together like this. And I pray that over these next few moments as we open your word, which is truth, and we learn more about you and more about us, that, Lord, you would begin to transform in our hearts, that that same spirit would work and transform us so that we would be faithful servants of you, King Jesus. In the mighty name of Jesus, everyone said... Amen. So let's understand a little bit. Let's talk about the book of Judges. I want to set this up again as we are going to talk about this over the next six weeks. So prior to the book of Judges, leading up to that in the Old Testament, we remember that the nation of Israel was enslaved to the Egyptians, right? And in the midst of that slavery, God raises up a man to deliver them by the name of Moses. Now, Moses led them out of Egypt, and he led them out of oppression. 
And once he led them out, remember it's on top of Mount Sinai, God makes a covenant with Moses and the people of Israel that he will be with them, he'll always be with them, he'll always go before them, and that he is going to give them a promised land, which later we'll find out is the land of Canaan. Well, they don't immediately leave Egypt and go into the promised land. They spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And eventually they come to the edge of Canaan and they camp outside. And that is where Moses dies. Now that takes us up to the book of Joshua, which is just before. It's the book right before Judges. Now, Joshua is the new leader of Israelites. He was the understudy, if you will, of Moses. And Israel begins to start trusting God. And immediately Joshua leads them to an incredible victory at a town called Jericho. Great. One of you know that story. So, however, God wanted them to have more than just the city of Jericho. God had given them the entire land. And so there is a lot of territory that they need to drive the enemy out of. But in the midst of that, God wanted them to drive out the Canaanites because they had idols in the land. And God's ultimate purpose is that they were to be faithful. This was a part of the covenant. He said he'd always be with them and he'd give them this land if they were faithful to the Torah, if they were faithful to his word, because God wanted the nations to see what he was like by how his people lived. How many know that has not changed for us? God wants our neighbors and the world and the nations to see what he is like by how we live. Man, we've got a lot of work to do, don't we? So now we get to the book of Judges. And Judges begins with the death of Joshua. You had the death of Moses, you had the death of Joshua, and now they are in the promised land, although they have not taken it all, even though God has promised it. But Joshua is dead, and now we get to the book of Judges. So a little bit about Judges. The name of Judges comes from the name of leaders that God raises up. Now when we think of Judges, we think of people like Judge Judy. I'm not talking about courtroom people with black robes and gavels. That is not the type of judges that the Bible is talking about. These judges were regional, political, military leaders. It's a time before Israel had kings, before there was a monarchy. It's a transitional period that takes place about 350, 400 years. When you read through the book of Judges, that's the time span, 350 to 400 years. One thing we need to know, and I will warn you now, if you've never read the book of Judges or it's been a while and you go back and read it, it is, a, it is an extremely disturbing and it is an extremely violent book, especially when you get towards the end. I mean, if they were going to make an action movie out of the Bible, if they were going to do a binge-worthy TV show, this would be the book that they would pick and it would have like mature audiences only. I mean, think Ozarks, think Breaking Bad. Not that I watch any of those shows, but I have heard that's what they are like. Okay, it's a very disturbing book. So now we're going to get to chapter one and we're going to see that right out of the gate in the book of Judges, Israel has a ton of success. Although while they have success in chapter one, we're going to see that there is some disobedience that creeps in as well. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn to Judges chapter 1, right now we're only going to read the first three verses. If not, as you know, they'll put it on the screen behind me and on the monitor beside me. 
Here's what Joshua, or rather Judges says. Judges chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. Now, before I get going, I want you to notice each of these three verses have something distinctly different in them. The first thing is the Israel people are going the, the Israelites are going to ask a question of God. Verse 2 is God is going to answer and then 3 we're going to see how the Israelites respond. So here we go. After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord which tribe should go first to attack the Canaanites. Now, Israelites started off great. Okay? They asked God, "What should we do?" Now, last night, I asked our congregation this question, and they disappointed me. I'm just going to be frank with you. The first marker of our DNA of this church is we are... See, that's why you come to church on Sunday. (laughs) Pay attention more. Pick on that Saturday night crowd. We are spirit-led. What do we mean by that? Well, we have a phrase in here that we run the errands of the Holy Spirit. How do we know what errands God has called us to do? We ask God. That's exactly what happened here. So they did the right thing. They're like, God, which tribe should go first to attack the Canaanites? Remember, they're taking the land. Verse 2, God answers. The Lord answered, Judah. Judah's one of the tribes. Judah, for I have given them the victory over the land. Pretty simple. They ask God, which tribe should go? Verse 2, God responds, which tribe should go? Judah. There we go. Here we go. Verse 3. Now watch this. The men of Judah said to their relatives from the tribe of Simeon, join with us to fight against the Canaanites living in the territory allotted to us. Then we will help you conquer your territory. So the men of Simeon went with Judah. Did you catch anything unusual there? What did God say? Who was supposed to go? Judah. And then not even a half a verse later, Judah is saying, Brother Simeon, hey, would you come with me? That's not what God said. So immediately we see God's people failing to be obedient to the exact words of what God said. Specifically, the tribe of Judah was disobedient. God's instruction was for Judah to go. God did not say Judah and Simeon. So while this may have made sense to the Israelites militarily, it was spiritually disobedient. Judah went, but they did not go alone, and their faithfulness was halfway. Their obedience was half-hearted. Now, nevertheless, we're not going to go through the entire first chapter, but you can read it later. And as you do, you will see that they win the victory. I mean, it's a really cool victory, too. I have to tell you this. They capture the king, and they cut off his two thumbs, and they cut off his two big toes. I mean, I'm, I mean that's just kind of cool. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I tell you, it's an action movie. So they get the victory. Now, if the chapter and the story ended there, we could celebrate and go, wow, praise God, that is great. But that's not where the story ends. And we're going to see how even the smallest disobedience to their king, Jesus, can grow among God's people and bring disastrous results for generations to come. Okay, here we go. Verse 1, or I mean chapter 1, verse 19. This is what the Bible says. We skip down a few verses. It says that the Lord was with the people of Judah. And they took possession of the hill country. So they attacked the hill country and they won. But look what it also says. 
but they failed to drive out the people living in the plains who had iron chariots. So they won one battle in the hill country. They defeated that enemy, but they failed to drive out the enemy that was in the plains, the ones who had iron chariots. How? Why did this happen? They won the battle in the hill country, but they failed to drive out the enemy living in the plains. Why? All because from their view, they saw that the, the enemy in the, in the plains had iron chariots. You see, from Judah's perspective, through their eyes, through what they could see, their enemy was unbeatable due to their technically advanced weaponry. When they looked at the odds, when they looked at their weapon, Israel didn't have chariots. Okay? Israel didn't have chariots. When they looked at the enemy in the plain, they did, and they go, there is no way we can defeat them. Now, here's the crazy thing. They were chased by chariots when God led them out of Egypt. They had seen God beat up chariots before when they were running from Egypt. But here now, through their eyes, through their perspective, there was no way they could win the battle. They, they did what seemed best from their eyes. How often do you and I do the same thing? <laughs> when we rely on ourselves, when we base our walk with God on our calculations, on our perspective, when we make decisions what, what seems right with our eyes and not our God, we will make the wrong decisions and consequences will greatly follow. And now we're going to see the snowball effect of those consequences. Look, we're not going to go through every verse, but starting in verse 21, there are 12 tribes of Israel. Look what happens because the smallest disobedience. Verse 21, the Bible says, the tribe of Benjamin, they failed to drive out their enemy. 27, the tribe of Manasseh failed to drive out their enemy. 29, Ephraim failed to drive out their enemy. The tribe of Zebulun failed to drive out their enemy. The tribe of Asher failed to drive out their enemy. Last, likewise, the tribe of Naphtali failed to drive out their enemy. Without Jesus as our king, what we believe is right will be wrong. And what we believe brings victory will cause defeat. From the smallest disobedience, it was a snowball effect of failure after failure after failure because they didn't completely obey King Jehovah God. So now we get to chapter 2. God speaks. Starting at verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1. The Bible says, The angel of the Lord went from Gilgal to Bochum, and he said to the Israelites, I brought you out of Egypt into this land that I swore to give your ancestors. And I said, I would never break my covenant with you. And God reminds them, for your part, this is all I asked for you to do. For your part, you were not to make any covenants with the people living in this land. You weren't supposed to make any deals. You were supposed to drive them out. Instead, God says, you were supposed to destroy their altars, but you have disobeyed my command. What's up with that? Why did you do this, God asks. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, and they served the images of Baal. Now back, we just read it a few minutes ago in chapter 1, verse 19. We read that the Israelites failed to drive out, failed to drive out. Remember that? 
Okay, they, they won in the, in the hills, but they failed to drive out their enemy in the plains. Other translations say that they could not or they were unable to drive them out. Here God is saying to his people this. It's not that you could not. It's that you would not. Did you catch that? God is calling them out and saying, you're thinking and said that you couldn't do it. I told you I was with you. I've showed you before when I brought you out of Egypt, you simply refused to obey me completely. It's not that you couldn't, you wouldn't. You trusted what you thought was right based on your own vision. You trusted your perspective rather than mine. I told you that I would never break my covenant with you. I told you I would be with you. I told you I would go before you. All I asked is that you would not make any treaties or relationships or covenant with those who served other gods. But you didn't obey fully. And you didn't trust my authority as your king. And right here, every one of us have to ask ourselves this question. Is there an area in my life where I right now am saying I can't? And God would say to you, no, you won't. Are there areas of our life that we tell God, I can't? And the real answer is, we won't. Look at our time, how we spend our time. For some of us, God has convicted you and he's tapped you on the, on the shoulder and he said, you're to go. I've called you to go. Maybe it's missions. Maybe it's an area to serve. Maybe it's to minister to a family in need or go across the street and you're like, Lord, I, I just, I don't have time. I can't do that. I, I, I just, I can't fit that into my schedule. Maybe taking quiet time and spending that time in his word in the morning or in the evening. God, I, I look at my schedule. I can't do this. And God's saying, no, you can, you just won't. Or maybe it's your treasure. God's saying, I have gifted you with incredible abilities and gifts. I've given it to you, not to use for your own pleasure, but for the benefit of my kingdom. I've gifted you with an incredible voice and ability to sing, and you're, you're using it to earn money or sing in a bar. Rather than extend my kingdom, I've gifted you with an incredible mind or an ability to serve, and you're wasting away. I've called you to serve, and you're saying, I can't do it. I don't have any room. I don't have any margin. And God's saying, no, you just won't. Or maybe it's your treasure. God's gifted you with incredible resources and he's called you to obedient and given, give with generosity. And you're going, I can't, I need, I, I, I can't. There's no margin for that, God. No, God's saying you just won't. Or maybe it's areas of compromise in our life, compromise of sin. A cheating here, well, I, I've got to take this shortcut. Areas of sin in your life that no one will notice. Or you make excuses for, and I, I, I just can't, God. I, this is how it's got to be. And, and God's like, no, you just, you won't. God wants lordship over every area of our life. If he is going to be king, he has to have it all. There is no area of our life that we cannot surrender to him. God wanted Israel to clear the entire land of Canaan so his people would not end up living with idols as well as with him. You see, they hadn't fully rejected God. It's not like they fully rejected God. 
They just hadn't fully accepted him either as king. And that's halfway discipleship. And you and I can fall, fall into the same habit and be guilty of the same thing. But ultimately, either all of our life is given to Jesus as king or none of it is. Partial obedience, as we're going to see, trends towards full non-obedience. And we're going to see the result of, of not submitting to the king. The fruit of doing what is best in our own, right, own eyes rather than trusting in God's perspective and yielding to him as king. Chapter 2, verse 11 says that the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord and they served the images of Baal. That they abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. And they went after other gods and they worshipped the gods of the people around them. And it angered the Lord. This is exactly what God knew would happen. And it all started with halfway obedience. And it's the same thing that happens for you and I. Just one slight obedience. One slight shortcut. One slight I can't versus I won't. And it ends up in full idolatry. And now we have gods and kings of wealth, of celebrity, of pleasure, of achievement, other kings in our life other than Jesus. And as we're going to see over the next six weeks that this cycle repeats over and over. The book of Judges is a book of cycles. It's a book of patterns. I want to show you what I mean by that. This pattern that's in Judges that, again, we'll see time and time again as, as God raises up Judges. Here's what happens. It begins with sin, disobedience, which leads to the Israelites being oppressed, oppressed by their enemy. And then they cry out to God, Lord, we repent. And oppression leads to repentance. God hears the cry of his people. And God delivers. In Judges, this is where he raises up Judges. And then there's a time of peace. But over and over, what we're going to see is this just repeats on and on. From oppression to repentance to deliverance to peace. Ultimately, there's a time of peace. And then sin occurs. And one by one, this just happens over and over and over again. And the truth is for you and I as Christ followers, we often go through the same circle, the same pattern. For some of you right now, you're shortcut, you're in sin. You're telling God, I can't, when he's saying, no, you won't. And what you don't realize is that this is coming next. That that one little decision, that one little shortcut, not submitting to the authority of King Jesus is going to lead to you being oppressed by something. It may not be an enemy like the Canaanites, but it may be addiction. It may be depression. It may be something far worse. And then some of you may be in this, you, you felt that and you're crying out to God, saying, Lord, I'm sorry. I took a shortcut. I said to you, I can't. When it really is, I won't. And I wasn't living in full 
servanthood. I wasn't submitting my life totally to you as king. And the good news is that God hears your repentance. And God is always quick to come and deliver. And some of you are experiencing that now. Or you may have gone through that and you're living in peace. But there has to be a reminder is that for, for many of us, it's this. Over and over and over again. And what is the answer to this solution? It is the kingship of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Without Jesus as our king, what we believe to be right is wrong. And what we believe will bring victory will cause defeat. But here's the beauty. You can leave with hope today no matter where you are in this. Because we have a God of grace. And because of this, because of the cross of Christ, you can never be anywhere in this circle without coming back to him. God is only one prayer away. He is only one cry away from him coming and delivering. But he wants to be king of your life. He wants every area, not just 80, 90% of it. Would you stand to your feet this morning? God's word to us is the same as it was to the Israelites in the book of Judges. The covenant is the same in the sense God says to us, I told you I'd never leave you. I'd never forsake you. If you're covered in the blood of Christ, he is there. I, God, I, I will, he said, I'll go before you. I just want you to be faithful. I want to be the king of your life. So before we go today, I want to give you an opportunity just between you and the Lord, to examine your own heart, to examine your own life. For some of you, you may know exactly what that area is that you have not surrendered to King Jesus in. You may be holding on to it so tightly. You've given him everything else, but you're holding on to this. And today God would want you to know partial obedience isn't enough because it'll lead to destruction. I need it all. For others of you, you may not know. And so for you, I'm just going to ask that between you and the Lord, you just say, God, would you search my heart? Would you test my thoughts? Would you convict me if there's anything in my life that I'm holding on to? Would you let me know I don't want to be on that cycle or that pattern of destruction? So between you and God right now, I want to give you a couple minutes of silence. Would you pray and seek the Lord? So, Father, today you have reminded us of how quickly south things can go when we don't submit every area of our life to you. Even when we obey partially but don't obey fully. 
I believe the desire of most people in this room is to obey you fully, but the rub is actually living that out. We live in a world and a society that does what is right in its own eyes, and they live without a king. The shame would be that if your followers lived the same way. So today, we do declare that you are King Jesus. We submit to your authority. We are your servants in your kingdom. And I pray now, as your subjects, that you would reveal to us, for those that have asked you that question, God revealed to me, I pray that your, your Holy Spirit has done that. For those that know exactly and are wrestling through and struggling with complete obedience, I ask that you would give them the strength to obey. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your covenant with us. That you will never leave us and you will never forsake us. In the name of Jesus, amen.